We are uh, in the book of Ephesians today, book of Ephesians, chapter 3, uh, and if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand. I'll make sure that someone provides you with one. I need a couple back here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Just hold your hand up until you get one. Thank you, John. Ephesians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 14 and uh, read on down through 21. Word of God says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, sometimes we forget that uh, you are a God that does far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Lord, you are generous. You lavish mercy and blessings upon your children. God, thank you so much for that. We deserve hell. You give us life. We deserve darkness. You give us yourself. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to always be grateful and thankful and take joy in that, Lord. God, I pray for the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning, that your spirit would be all over this time, that you would be glorified, exalted, and lifted up. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deemer. That passage ends with... uh the last two verses of that passage, Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21, say, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's always been one of my favorite verses, my favorite couple of verses, I should say. One of my favorite scripture passages. And I oftentimes like to quote it, when I think back upon what God's done, I think back upon what he's accomplished. So I'm looking here at, at Harbin's Community Baptist Church, and uh, recently my wife put together a, a little scrapbook for one of our supporters. And just going back through the pictures of Harbin's, um, many things that most of y'all mo- weren't even involved in the very beginning of Harbin's. Matter of fact, it wasn't called Harbin's at the very beginning. And so I look back to that, and I see where we are now, and I look back at where we started, and I say, only God could do what he's doing now. And I look at the building going up out there on, at, on Harbin's Road, and I look at the things that God is doing. They're even more, much more important than the building, how he's, how he's growing each and every one of us in our hearts, and how he's doing some things, uh, raising up a spirit of, uh, of, of helping those who are helpless in our church. And I see the things God's doing, and and it gets me excited. So I, I use this verse a lot of times to refer back to the things that God's done that are far more abundantly 
um, amazing than anything I could have ever asked for or anything I could have ever thought about. But this verse, in reality, because it's part of a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, is actually a forward-thinking verse. And this time of year, right, as we're coming up on New Year's, this time of year is always a forward-thinking time. We do do some reflection, looking back, but everyone knows that New Year's is famous for what? New Year's resolutions, right? We have resolutions. We have things that we say we're going to accomplish this next year. We like to quote Paul at this time of the year saying, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. We like to forget the things we didn't accomplish this year and set for ourselves goals or resolutions for the new year. Resolutions kind of like this. Resolved in 2010 to start a strength and conditioning plan to lose weight. Um, to do those home improvement projects that I've been promising to get done. To go experience something new and exciting. To be fulfilled. We want fulfillment. Everybody wants that fulfillment. But usually these lists that we make on January 1st, um, well, we have a hard time uh, seeing that they happen. So we, you know, we may knock off a few pounds in January only to put them back on in June. Um, you know, we may buy the materials for that remodeling project only to see those materials still sitting in the Lowe's uh, shopping bag in our garage come fall. Um, you know, we may have a plan on going to the Grand Canyon, experiencing something new and spectacular, only that work gets so busy we just go to Stone Mountain again. Um, we may, we may, you know, think that these things, even if we can accomplish them, we may think these things will fulfill us. But in reality, there's something much more. There's, there's still a, an emptiness in our heart that we need to fill with something much more important than just doing these things. So today, I do have some resolutions for Harbins, resolutions for our church. That's the title of the message, resolutions for Harbins in 2010. They're all based upon Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Now, these resolutions are, are, are if you look at this prayer that Paul prays for the church, he's not focusing on the outward. Usually our resolutions, if you go back and look at that list, are, are outward focused, right? But Paul wants us to focus on what's more important. He wants us to focus on the heart. What's inside is always more important. Um, let's see if I got some kids here to help me illustrate a couple of things this morning. Um, how many of you kids really like bananas? I need a, wow, there's so many of you. Um, Nathan, you like bananas? This is my nephew, Nathan. Come on up here, buddy. Um, and let's see, there's someone from this side over here. Sophia, you like bananas? Come on up here. Would you like a banana this morning? I've only got one, so I'm going to split it between the two of you. So come on up here. All right? Yummy. I hate bananas personally, but I hope you guys like them. I'm going to split this between the two of you, all right? All right. Here you go, Sophia. Here you go, Nathan. Enjoy. All right? Is that a fair split? Eat up. You're looking like you got the peel. <laughs> What's wrong? You should be excited, Sophia. You got the good part. Okay? That wasn't a fair deal, was it? Because what did you get? I just told you I was going to split the banana with you. I didn't tell you what part you were going to get, buddy. All right? But you know that that part right there that Sophia's holding like she's just been shocked into, um, that that part right there is the important part, isn't it? That's the part you want. And that's what God wants. Okay, we can focus on our New Year's resolutions and all this outward stuff. We can lose weight. Not that God doesn't care about our physical appearance. Not that God doesn't care about us taking care of our finances and all these things. We can resolve to these things. But God cares about something much more. He's passionate about what's on the inside. 
Unlike Sophia here, who's shocked beyond understanding. You know what? Do you want me to take that from you? Yes. Okay. All right. Would you like this? All right. Thank you. Right, why don't you have a seat? All right. Okay. All right, Sophia. Thank you. Well, God knows, and we should know, what's more important than the outside stuff that we try to accomplish in our own strength is a work of the heart that he wants to do inside of us. Paul here, he prays for the church in Ephesus, but because Paul always asks that his letters be circulated amongst the churches, he's also praying in this passage for the church universal. And because it's scripture, Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is inspired God's word. It's also a prayer for us. So Paul's praying for Harbin's in 2010 as well. Okay, another illustration here. How many of you kids got some Christmas gifts on, what was it, Friday? Okay, you got some gifts? Okay, I got one too. Isn't this awesome? Man, I got this thing. There was a box with it and something inside of that as well, and I just threw that away. But I got this piece of paper with these cool designs on it. Did you guys get this? No, you guys didn't care about this, all right? You cared about what is on the inside. You know what? To, to just focus on New Year's resolutions and on the stuff that we are going to try to make ourselves do this year is to focus on the things that are least important, to focus on the things that, to God, doesn't even compare to what he wants to do in our hearts. So I want to look at this passage today that Paul gives us from uh, Ephesians, this prayer that he prays for us. He says this, For this reason, in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father for this reason. Well, what reason? What's Paul talking about here? He says, for this reason. Well, it's important to understand the context here. Paul, Paul has a habit when he writes his letters, and more than likely the way Paul wrote at least some of his letters is that he was dictating it to someone writing it down. And Paul has a habit of starting a thought and then breaking away and, and going down a tangent and then coming back to the thought. And that's what happens here. I think Paul's ADD, maybe. I don't know. He, he starts a thought in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason. Then he goes off on a tangent, and then he comes back to what he was talking about. So when he says here that this is the reason he's praying, for this reason I bow my knees, he's referring actually back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, where Paul talks about two things that have happened to, this, to the people in Ephesus. First of all, they've been saved. Okay, we read in, in, in chapter 2 that they were dead in their trespasses but they've been saved by God's grace through faith. So our salvation is the reason Paul feels he can pray this prayer for the church. So what Paul's going to resolve, what he's going to pray for us this morning, is something that only can happen in those who have actually been saved, who've received Jesus Christ, who've experienced new life. Also in chapter 2, Paul talks about us being part of the household of God. There's no longer a division between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free it's all those who've been saved, who've been saved by God's grace through faith, are now part of the household of God. So Paul here is speaking to those who are saved. He's speaking to believers. This prayer is for believers. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this phrase. There's various interpretations out there as to what this phrase means. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm not even going to go over all the different interpretations out there. I'm just going to tell you what I believe it refers to. I believe Paul here is referring to believers. God is the father of all humanity, yes, in the sense that he reigns over all of life. He gives life. He takes life away. He is sovereign over all of life. 
But here we see a picture of God as the father over a people. When it says family here, that word could also be translated people group, tribe, or nation. It's the word patria, where we get patriotism from. That word can mean, does mean family, but it can also mean a people group, a special group of people. And there's a play on words here Paul's giving us in the Greek. The word for father is patre. And so he's giving us here, he's talking about how Paul is the father of a people, God is the father of a people group. And so I believe he's referring here to those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's referring to believers. He's referring to Christians. He says that uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, believers who are already in heaven and those who are still on the earth. That God is the father over this new family, this people group. And he's given us a new name. We've been named. Uh, the, when, so, when someone has named something, like a father names a child, he has authority over that child. So he names them. So God, yes, he is sovereign over all of creation, and he names all of creation. But in a very intimate sense, he gives us the name of his son. He gives us the name of Jesus to those who belong to him who are part of his family. So we see here three things that Paul's talking about here when he says why he's praying for us. First of all, he's praying for us because we are saved. He's praying for us because we're part of God's family. And he's also praying for us because we have access to God's glorious riches. He says, in, he says here as, as he continues this passage uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. And then he goes into his four prayer requests for us. So Paul here, he, he, ha, he feels like he can pray these things for the church. He's praying these things for us. We can resolve these things for Harbins in 2010 because we're believers. We've been saved. We have Christ within us. We're part of God's family. We've been, in, we've been adopted into his family. Therefore, we have an inheritance. We have God's glorious riches at our disposal. And so God gives us the strength and the power, the authority to follow through on these things that Paul is praying on our behalf. He prays four things to happen to the Ephesian church and our church. And I want to go over those here. So there's four things we're resolved. Okay, those are the physical uh, resolutions I gave you a second ago. But let's talk about these inward resolutions for 2010 for our church. First of all, we need to resolve that the Spirit, we, Paul's praying that the Spirit will do a strength and conditioning work inwardly. Now we may physically try to do a strength and conditioning plan this year to lose some weight. I know I am. Um, I'm not going to suggest any of you guys do it. I'm just saying I am. Going to try to lose some weight this year. But more important to God is what we do in the heart. And the Spirit wants to do a strength and conditioning work in our heart inwardly. Verse 16, Paul's praying. This is what he's praying. This is his first request. That he, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying that according to God's limitless, infinite, boundless riches that are made available to all believers, that God might grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. What does it mean to be strengthened? This word here that's used means to uh, enable one to overcome, to enable one to endure, to enable one to resist. The image here is that we need to be made ready for battle. We need to be made ready for something difficult. We need to be made ready to overcome. There's a fight out there worth fighting. Outwardly, a soldier will train his body to become strong so that he can resist the enemy. Inwardly, we are called to do the same thing. How? Well, it says here we're strengthened with power, power through his spirit. 
That's how we become strong for the battle, is that we receive power through God's Spirit. This is what we've been looking, looking at in Acts so far, as we've been studying Acts. We, we've taken a break in Acts. We've gotten through five chapters in I don't know how long, but um, we're, we're part of the way through the book of Acts. And we've seen that in Acts 1-8 that God gave the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they could do these things that God was asking them to do. So the key to having inward strength this year and to being resolved to, to have this inward strength to be able to do the things God wants to do isn't to say, okay, I can do it. The key to it is to realize how weak we are and ask God's Spirit to move in our hearts and to yield ourselves to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit power. This word power here is... Um, is the word you're familiar with. You've heard preachers say it probably a hundred times. It's the, it's the Greek word dunamis, which is the word that we get dynamite from. I'm, I'm reminded of, of the power that the, um, that the settlers had when they came to uh, and settled America and they overcame, uh, they conquered, really, the tribes that were in, in South America and in Central America. In the United States, it wasn't quite a conquering, but still we forced out the, the Native American tribes as, as, as the European people moved in. And I remember reading one story that the, the tribes, I may have heard it in homeschool, the tribes would, would, would see these Europeans come and they had these sticks in their hand and all of a sudden the stick would let out this boom, this dynamite power and they would, they would they called them thunder sticks. The Indians would call these things thunder sticks and that was terribly intimidating to them that these, these white settlers had these thunder sticks. Well, we know they were rifles, they were guns and they, it gave them great power uh, to overcome and and so God's giving us power. He's giving us his Holy Spirit to give us the strength to overcome this year and to, to, to fight the fights that we're going to face this year. And he does it in our inner being. Like I've already said, God is concerned more with our inner being than our outer being. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Okay? Our outer nature is wasting away. There's, no matter what you do this year, you start an exercise plan, whatever, great, do it. But your outer nature is still wasting away. Okay, if you look at me in 20 years from now, you're going to see my outer nature is still wasting away. But hopefully, my inner nature is doing the opposite of that, and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's how our life should be. As our outer nature wastes away, our inner nature should be getting stronger and stronger and stronger as we progress in this Christian life. So Paul's prayer for us, and our resolution as a church in 2010 is that God's Spirit will do an inward strength and conditioning work. Now, why does Paul wish that for us? This, these four prayer requests are all attached to one another. We see that Paul prays that the Spirit will do a strength and conditioning work inwardly so that Christ can do the heart improvements that need to be done. So that Christ can do the heart improvements that need to be done. Look at verse 17. So that Christ might dwell, may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that. So God gives us power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, does that not seem backward to you? When I read this passage, that seemed backward to me. Don't we have to have Christ in our heart through faith first before God's spirit can give us any power? And it just seemed backward to me. And I've as I studied the passage, I came to understand that it's not really backward when we understand what Paul is saying here, the words that he's using here. When he says dwell in, that word literally means to be at home in our heart. Okay, It means to be at home in our heart. It, in other words, our heart is supposed to be a place in such a condition 
where Jesus feels at home in our heart. Paul started talked about, for this reason, remember how we started the passage, for this reason, because they're saved, he's praying these things. So now when he gets to this part and says he wants Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith, what he's saying is, I want your heart to be a place where Jesus feels absolutely at home in your heart. John MacArthur uh, put it this way. Uh, he said, is Christ at home in your heart or is he just a tolerated visitor? Is Christ at home in your heart or is he just a tolerated visitor? You know the difference. Maybe you have friends or maybe you're, you go over to someone's house there are some families that you such, have such a relationship with that you have refrigerator rights. You know what I mean? You walk into the home, you can go and open the refrigerator and get out a sandwich and, and go sit on the couch and turn on the TV or whatever. You have refrigerator rights in their home. Just come in, mi casa, su casa, just come on in, do whatever you want. Okay, this is your home. Maybe it's kind of like, um, remember the, the, the TV show Seinfeld and Kramer would always just kind of come over? And Kramer would come over and just get in the refrigerator or just be watching TV or whatever. Okay, so there's people that have refrigerator rights, but there's other people that don't have those rights in your home. And they come in, they start rummaging through your refrigerator, you're like, whoa, that's an invasion of privacy. And they start, they don't have those rights. And, and what Paul's saying here is Jesus needs to have refrigerator rights in your heart. He needs to be able to come in, but he needs to be able to do even more than that. Okay, if go back to my Seinfeld illustration, there was one episode, I can't remember which, where, where Kramer comes in and starts rearranging everything. Now, Jerry had everything exactly where he wanted it, his cereal boxes and all that stuff, and Kramer came in and rearranged everything. Now, that was too much even for Jerry. And so the question is, does Jesus not only have refrigerator rights in our hearts, but does he have the right to come in and rearrange our life however he sees fit? That's what Paul's talking about here. Christ wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to be at home permanently. He wants to take up residence there, and he wants to remodel your home. He wants to do a remodeling work in your heart. So instead of having a resolution to remodel our homes this year, which that's fine if you want to do that, God's much more interested in remodeling his home, Christ's home, your heart, and doing some work in there, rearranging things in there to get it the way he wants it to be. Jesus comes to reside in our heart the moment we're saved, but is he comfortable there? Is he at home there? Does he rule there? Does he reign there? Can he change whatever he wishes whenever he wishes to change it? And we can't do this without power. Because on our own, even if we try to muster up our own strength and let Jesus do whatever he wants to in our life, we're going to fail because it's going to be uncomfortable and we're not going to like it. So we need the Holy Spirit power at work in our heart so that we'll surrender and release whatever we need to release over to Jesus. The old home improvement show that, that Tim Allen was in, he always said, more power, right? Arr, more power. And that's what we need. If we're going to do the kind of heart improvement, if we want to see, I shouldn't say us do, if we want to see the type of heart improvement in 2010 that God wants to accomplish in us, we need more power, and it doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit wants to work in a powerful way. Usually we think of God's Spirit working in power like the first chapter of Acts, right? Miracles, boom. Prayers answered, boom. But you know what? It's the same power, dunamis power, that Paul's talking about here to do a change in your heart. Because that's hard, and it needs some dynamite in there to blow it up so that God can rearrange and do the things he wants to do in our hearts and it has to happen through faith notice that this passage talks about uh, that christ will dwell in our hearts through faith that means trust 
That means we've got to let him do whatever he wants to do. Keep the illustrations going here. The, the, um, the, what's the show that's on today where they blow up the houses? Uh, extreme Home Makeover? Okay. Those families have to trust that guy. What's his name? I don't know. They have to trust him, the guy with the bullhorn, to do whatever he wants to do with their home. And remember, they go off on vacation. He sends them the little video screen. He says, and they show the wrecking ball coming in. And at that moment, they can either say, no, stop, stop. We like our old home. Please don't do that. Or they can surrender, which they always do in the show. And although that would make it interesting if they said stop once. But they surrender and let him do whatever he wants to because he has something in store for them that's much greater than what they have. And Jesus has things in store for you and me in 2010 that are much greater than what we could do if we just sit here and work on our own little heart ourselves. He wants to come in with power, wrecking ball power to rearrange our life so that he can do something beyond our imagination in our lives. And it may be something no one else ever sees. It's just something here. Maybe you've struggled for 20, 30 years. You've never been able to have a consistent quiet time. And you want to see that happen in your life. And so you're praying for God's spirit. Not that you can just go get the right book. Set, get the right alarm clock that shouts loud enough to get you out of your bed. And you can come up with all these systems and ideas in your head. No, that's insufficient. That's not powerful. You've got to say, Spirit of God, do a work in my heart to make me have an appetite for you that can't be quenched unless I'm in your word every day. And let God's Spirit move in power with wrecking ball power. And so it may not be anything anybody else sees, but we begin to have a quiet time this year. We begin to walk with God in a more intimate, abiding way than we've ever done before this year. That's something powerful that's happened in our life. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come in and do a work in our hearts. We've got to have power to make that happen. And he wants to strengthen us for this. Remember what I said strengthened means? It means the, the strength to fight, to overcome, to resist. This isn't going to be easy. Satan will put out everything he can put out there to convince you that your heart home is just fine the way it is. Your heart home is very comfortable right now. Just leave it the way it is. And Satan will do everything he can, and our own fleshly desires will do everything they can to keep us from having the faith we need to let God come in and do whatever he wants to do. So we, the Spirit wants to do a strength and conditioning work inwardly so that Christ can do the heart improvements that need to be done. So that, and again, Paul keeps building this. Verse 17 says that you, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, so that we can experience a new and exciting level of God's love. That's the third point. Let me read verses 17 through 19. Okay, so, so that, or that, you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge christ wants to come in and clean out our heart so he can fill it with something else he wants to come in and do this remodeling work in our heart so that he can fill us with a level and an understanding of love that we could never imagine before paul here he says to be rooted and grounded he kind of mixes his metaphors here my my english teacher told me never to do that but paul can do it he's an apostle all right he mixes his metaphors here he says they're rooted and grounded. So rooted is like a plant. 
with its roots deep in the ground. It can't be moved. Grounded is a foundation for a building. But the point of both is clear, that we should be unmovable. Love should anchor us and be unmovable when life, the winds and the difficulties and the shaking, trembling things that happen in our life in 2010. I know none of us wish for anything difficult to happen in 2010. We all have a picture in our mind of how perfect the year is going to be. But go back to the beginning of 2009, and you couldn't have thought and could have anticipated some of the difficulties that awaited you personally, your family, uh, the church, whatever. You couldn't have imagined the things that were ahead of you. But you know what? If we're rooted and grounded in love we've, because we've been cleaned out and our heart is, is, is a place that's experiencing a deep level of love, you know what? We're going to be steady and strong because difficulties will come. It's not a question of if they come. It's a question of when they come. Paul wants us to comprehend, to try to get our minds around the, the grandeur of God's love. And he also says here in this passage he wants us to know it, meaning he wants us to experience it. So he wants us to have a mental grasp of what God's love is. And we do that through the reading of God's word and, and, and inputting his scripture and abiding in his word. And, and we can get a mental grasp of what God's love is. But he also wants us to know it in an experiential way. The word know here doesn't refer to just knowing it intellectually. It refers to actually experiencing it. And he wants it for everyone. The Bible says he wants it for all the saints. We cannot fully comprehend God's love until we're totally immersed in it. That's what he means when he says what is the breadth and length and height and depth. There's been some pretty fanciful ideas to try to explain what Paul means there. Some people think that represents the cross, the height and depth and width and breadth, but that's kind of, or some people think it represents a cube that represents the temple, but I think you're just kind of taking Paul a little bit farther. And all he's saying is that, man, God's love is huge. If you could put it in today's language, he may, he may say something like, it's as deep as the ocean or deeper than the ocean. He wants you to, he wants you to be like a, like a diver in the ocean exploring his love and just never being able to come to an end and always experiencing more and more of his love. My, um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law here, I'm reminded of when we went snorkeling. All right, and Stephanie's nodding her head because it's very interesting. Stephanie got seasick snorkeling, but not on the boat. It's when we got out and started snorkeling, got seasick. But So Todd was saying yesterday, we probably won't go snorkeling again if we end up going on another cruise or something. We'll find something else to do. But I remember being in that, in that ocean with that little thingy on, and, and there, we went to, out to the drop-off. Nemo, guys, you know, the drop-off where, you know, Nemo's dad was freaking out because Fred Nemo's can get lost. So we were out there at the drop-off. I didn't see Nemo. But, you know, there's this, this, this really cool drop-off, and then it just goes up, and you can't see anything after that. And you want to be able to go down there. And I wanted to swim down, and I actually tried to swim down and touch a tiger fish. I didn't realize they're very, very dangerous. And so our guide kind of pulled me back. But I just wanted to go see everything. But I would get down there, and you hold your breath, and, you know, you only get a few feet down, and you just feel this pressure right and you, oh and you have to come back up okay i didn't have the proper equipment i wasn't equipped to go into the depths of the ocean i needed i needed more than just snorkeling gear i needed scuba diving gear i've never been scuba diving before but i'd love to someday and, and so if we want to experience the depth of god's love we cannot do that unless we've done the first couple of things that paul's praying for us here unless we've surrendered to his spirit to have control to do whatever he wants to to move and power in our heart and therefore, we allow Jesus to rearrange our life however he wants to. When he does that, then we'll begin to experience love in a way we could never have thought of before. Love for God and love for others. Just on a very personal level. 
on a very personal level, I, I'll just tell you, I personally in my family, because I led my family in the first years of our marriage and with our kids, is we were very materialistic, too much, too attached to stuff. And it wasn't until, and, and God's still doing it, and the wrecking ball still hurts. God's still doing it. He's coming in and he's rearranging priorities. He's rearranging desires. He's rearranging our appetites. And he's changing things and it hurts. But not until he begins to do that do I really understand what love is. Then I begin to experience his love in a new way. Then I begin to experience how he wants me to love others in a new way. And it's getting deeper and it's getting more and more awesome. And I feel like I'm finally getting some scuba gear on. I just won't try to touch the tiger fish. I feel like I'm finally getting to get deeper into God's love because he's doing a work in my heart and it's still a process and it's something he wants all of us to go through in 2010. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. But this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34 through 35. Ultimately, at the heart of it all, at the very root, Love is God's only commandment. At the root of it all, love is God's only commandment. Jesus boils down the commandments to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love is, at the root, the commandment that God gives us. And God wants us to love and to be willing to love and to experience love in such a way that it just blows our minds. Now, it seems like uh, there may be a bit of a of a contradiction here, doesn't it? Okay, if you look at the passage, let me find it here. Um, okay, he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Does that make any sense? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. All that means is we'll never get to the bottom of the ocean, all right? God's love, he wants you to know it, but you know what? The more you know it, the more you realize how deep it is, how amazing it is, how wonderful it is. It's like the astronomers today that, keep finding new planets and new stars and that the universe is actually much bigger than they ever thought it was before how on earth these people when they look at that can't come to a conclusion wow there's a god i don't know well i do know it's called the hardness of the heart it can't be penetrated apart from the spirit work of god so god wants us to di dive deep into his love and have knowledge of his love in a way that we've never experienced before and finally, the last um, thing here that this leads to is so that we can be filled with God. If you follow the passage here, if you follow the passage here, it says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that, again, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So follow Paul's thought here. He wants you to be strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit so that Christ can do a work in our hearts so that we can then experience God's love in a new way. God can fill us. That rearranged heart can be filled with his love. So that we can be filled with God. So that we can experience all the fullness of God. Now that does not mean we become God. That would contradict scripture. But it means we've been created to be filled with something. We're vessels. We've been created to be filled with something. We've not been be created to be filled with the with the love of this world. We've been created to be filled with the love of God. And so we are, as the Bible says, and as Deemer's been teaching as he goes through Genesis, we have been created to image God. That's the purpose of humanity, is we are to be God's image bearers. And that was damaged at the fall 
But in Christ, okay, once again, we are God's image bearers. Once again, we are to bear the likeness of God through Christ, who imaged God perfectly. And that's Paul's prayer here, is that we will grow more and more into the fullness, into the image of God. We can't ever become God, but there is a fullness. There is a, we are containers that were created to be, to a certain level, like God. And that's what God wants to do. So we want to be more Christ-like. We want to be more God-like this year. We want to be filled with God. In order to be filled with God, we need to be empty of self. Every year we should be a little bit more empty of ourselves so that we can be filled more and more with God. No one has ever seen God, according to 1 John 4:12. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now we can get to those last verses. So, now to him who's able to do far more than we can ever think or imagine. Now we can get to those verses. Because you know what? Apart from the Spirit's work, Christ's remodeling work, the love filling us up so we can be more like God, apart from that, everything else is just stuff we can accomplish on our own. There's nothing spectacular about that. There's nothing that glorifies God about that. But Paul ends this prayer by blessing the Lord. He says this. I'll bring it up for me back here. Let's go to this last passage. All right. Okay. Then and now and only then after we've done these things. Now to him who is able. God is able. He's able to, to do anything. He's not just able. He actually does things. He does things in our heart. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly. He's not just able to do. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask. Well, that's good enough. But he can also do far more than we could even think. According to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. This is a forward looking verse. We're looking forward to what God's going to do this year. If God does a work in your heart this year, he gets the glory because it's his power at work within us. If God does a work in our church this year, he gets the glory because it's his work, him at work within us. So let's pray this year. Let's pray along with Paul as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and also prays for us. Let's pray that God's spirit moves in us in a powerful way, that Christ has the authority, refrigerator rights to rearrange our hearts. And that after he rearranges our heart, that he fills us with some new furniture called love. And that when he does that, we can become more like God. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. And I'll let Mark lead us in a couple of closing songs. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I just confess to you that there's so many areas in my own heart that I've got my own furniture. I've got my own stuff. I've got junk over in the corner. I've got trash sitting around. And you want to come in and not only clean sweep my home, you want to come in and just totally remodel it. You want to come in and totally change my heart. So God, I pray that in 2010 that I wouldn't be so focused on the outward physical resolutions that I'm hoping to accomplish as a father, as a husband, as a man that I forget that you're wanting to do an inward work. And there should be some other resolutions. We should be resolved to surrendering to your spirit this year. We should be resolved to having trust and faith in Christ that he can do whatever he wants to in our heart. Bring the wrecking ball. 
We should, we should be resolved to, be, to love more this year and, and, and to experience God's love the more this year. And we should be resolved to be more like God. That's where true fulfillment comes in, Lord. Father, we can fill our lives with stuff. We can fill our lives with accomplishments at our job. We can fill our, our homes with lots of children. But God, that does not bring fulfillment. The only fulfillment comes when we're filled with God. We're truly like you, God. So God, we ask now that you'd move in our hearts this morning. Father, if there's anything in our hearts, Lord, that's impeding us from being the people you want us to be as we leave here today, God, we pray that you begin to do that hard work now, no matter how painful it is. So Lord, now we ask that you be with us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's, who hasn't done those, those, that prerequisite, this prayer doesn't apply to them if they've not already been saved. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they make that happen, that they would come and speak to one of us, speak to me, speak to Deemer, and talk to us about receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So now, Lord, we close this time with song. We want to sing to you. We want to pour our hearts to you. We want you uh, to do a work in us. We want to respond in an appropriate way. So now we ask in Jesus' name that you guide us in the rest of this time. Amen.